This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This is where non-technical professionals stay ahead of the AI and ML curve. In this series, we're focusing on AI strategy, and this is episode four of five in this five-part series on enterprise AI strategy. We're speaking today with Adam Bonifield. Adam is a startup founder who ended up doing work for the U.S. government and then for four years was the VP of Artificial Intelligence and Analytics at Airbus. This is when I met him. He was integral in building their AI strategy, and now he serves as CEO of Conux, an artificial intelligence firm based in Germany. Crossing over from startups into giant organizations like Airbus is a big leap and provides a lot of perspective, and Adam has a couple big takeaways. And among the most important takeaways in this episode, there's a few that I wanted to highlight as you start listening in here today. Number one is Adam's insistence on the fact that strategy is as much about what you're not going to do as what you are going to do. Putting that into practice is easier said than done, but the way that Adam frames strategy, brainstorming for strategy, identifying opportunities, really is about honing in on the things that truly matter. Secondly, you're going to learn a lot about being able to put emphasis on the things that might not be sexy applications but might be the best places to add value and might end up being much more fun than trying something novel for novelty's sake. And that sometimes being able to address the problems we're already working on really is the best place to focus strategy. And Adam walks through a little bit of what that looks like within Airbus, which is a useful example as it's one of the largest companies in the world. And I'm essentially certain that his lessons there will translate to almost any other enterprise. And in this episode, you'll hear us actually touch on the Trinity model for AI ROI. This is something that Emerge has developed. This is one of our many tools inside of Emerge Plus. In the outro to this episode, at the end, I'll talk a little bit more about Emerge Plus, but you'll hear a lot of great insights on AI ROI. And Adam kind of pings some ideas off of our model, talks about some of his ideas. So there's some great ROI thinking here too. So tons to cover, a couple flagged points that I made here that I hope you tune in for. And otherwise, let's fly right into the episode. This is Adam with Connex here on the AI and Business Podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us again. Good to have you on the show. My pleasure. Today we're talking about strategy in this series. And the before we go into the nuts and bolts, you've had a lot of experience in small, nimble companies and within very, very large organizations. How do you define AI strategy for a business crowd before we get into the how? How do you talk about it to business people? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because I feel like sort of strategy, especially as it refers to introducing new technologies like AI, often gets confused with sort of vision, right? So which which is maybe kind of where is the company going? What is what is the end state we want to be in? And also tactics, sort of just like nuts and bolts. Okay, so you know, how much budget am I giving to who and 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 you know what are they working on and things like this. And the strategy is sort of the thing in the middle, which is really the how. You know, how do I get from you know all of the investments I'm going to make to the vision I want to get to. And usually what I would like it to be is just a series of kind of high level tasks or lines of effort. And I want it to be a collection of things we are doing and things we are not doing. And to me, a good strategy is defined by all of the things that we are not doing as a result of having such a strategy. And if you're if you're in this place where you're sort of you know realizing, okay, I'm I'm, I'm listing a bunch of stuff but actually there's nothing implied by what I'm saying that would define the universe that I'm not focusing on, then you don't have a good strategy because you're not making the distinction between, you know, how do I get from point A to point B? You're not defining that path. Got it. Yeah. Well, this actually clicks on some level. I don't, 
I haven't read every business book under the sun, but I thought Good to Great was all things considered a reasonable book. And Collins talks about sort of how his definition of successful companies kind of think of tech and it's less of how can we do the newest and coolest thing? And it's more of how can we leverage whatever's the state of the art if it's the right tool and towards what we're going to be best at and how we're going to win in the market. It's not how do we use it? It's right. it's really pretty deliberate about where we're headed. So for you, is there a transformation vision and or, like you said, things we're not going to do, right? A direction that we have means there's directions we're not going in. Is there a transformation vision kind of inherent in having a strategy? Yeah, it, it's exactly right. So, you know, when when I started at Airbus and, and my first goal was to kind of build up the AI strategy, I mean, I think the initial assumption was just kind of do everything, you know all the fancy new tools, autonomous flight, you know, everything that's in that kind of classical AI portfolio, that's really what you're going to be focusing on. And we were quite deliberate in looking across the business and saying, okay, well, but really, where do we want to go? And, and what is the path to kind of transforming the company into producing a lot more value for its customers? And what we saw is that actually the things that were most promising were actually not these, you know, super sort of super futuristic concepts, although we are doing those as well. But the things that we put really our focus on, especially in the short to medium term, were the boring old problems that have plagued companies like Airbus for decades, like quality, maintenance, ramping up our production, like doing like scheduling deliveries, all the logistics problems, the same thing that, you know, everyone's thinking about the company we in the technology space decided to focus on as well, because that was the stuff where we saw the major revenue drivers, the major cost centers. Got it. And I guess this gets us down a little bit. We talk definitions here. This gets us down a little bit to how to get started. So you have, again, some robust experience. Airbus is certainly a large firm, and there's no way you can take three years in a company that big and you know overhaul everything. But yeah, you had to get started somewhere. The way I kind of described it to our guests is that many of our listeners they're that internal person that wants to be a catalyst. They don't want to turn AI into a bunch of plug-and-play Band-Aids, and they also don't want to try to change everything or do everything. I think most of them, if they listen to this show, they know that the everything direction is a pretty failed way to do it. You're talking about kind of getting started with some of these low-hanging fruit projects. If you had advice for catalysts that want to turn strategy into a real thing, do it the right way, how would they get started? What did you learn in your hard experience or what you've seen with other companies? It's a great question. So if I understand the question, it's sort of like, what are all the right ways to get started? And and I think for yes. me, what you want to do is, first of all, you want to tackle a problem that's small enough that you can produce something within six months, but it's big enough that will it will scale over time. And I think probably the the common mistake that companies make is they tackle a very, very big problem with an advanced proof of concept. So there's just proving that a very hard problem. So for example, autonomous flight is technically feasible, but it's not producing anything of value in six months. And so what you end up seeing is a bit of a a valley of death where you'll sort of produce all these interesting proofs of concept. You'll be able to talk about them, but they won't actually lead anywhere because they're not producing anything of tangible benefit. So you have to kind of find that sweet spot where you're saying, what is something that we could actually do that's going somewhere, but is, you know, the kind of thing that we can use advanced technologies to solve. So for example, at Airbus, you know, production ramp up is a great example of that, where, you know, we, you know, we're taking this very, very old problem, but it's a problem that hasn't been disrupted by technology. And it's not that hard to use some of these advanced analytical tools to be able to produce stuff faster than we did before. And so this is like a great starting point. And then I think the second point that I I think that is also really important relates to data foundations. I think that if you're picking a pro- if you're picking a project 
that's not building better data foundations over time, this is a real wasted opportunity because basically everything that you'll want to do in the future is all premised upon you collecting more and more of a robust picture of what it's like to do business in your world. So you want every, especially in the beginning, you want every AI project to entail some kind of big data collection effort where whether it's introducing a new piece of hardware, whether it's integrating you know, data sets that have never been integrated before, whether it's moving data to the cloud, stuff like this will be so useful in the long run. And I will say this even you know, in my new role like Conux, this is a huge thing that we're doing with our customers. So we're, we're bringing all these new sensors into their rail operating environment, starting with a solvable problem, so starting with predictive maintenance. But what we're discovering is the same sensors that are collecting data that are able to tell stories about predictive maintenance are also collecting data that's able to tell stories around scheduling, around operations. I mean, these aren't things maybe on the customer's radar today. But then what we're seeing is that, you know, because we have the data available, we're able to solve the problems of tomorrow as well. So this is the right way to approach these kinds of rollouts. It's really hard for me to agree with you more. I'm, I'm actually, it's very rare that I would do this, but I, I just popped a little link in the uh chat there. The, the way that we talk about this, and I, I'd love to see if you've got some nuance to sprinkle on top, because you've done an amazing job of putting this into words, this very complicated concept. We kind of have an, an phasic roadmap model for enterprise AI transformation, where the basic gist is this. We define what our transformation vision, in other words, we're moving somewhere, not just anywhere. We define what that is. And then we think about what are the near-term accessible projects and what's the capability we can build to get to those projects? So we want we want to have a project that, like you said, can show some financial or measurable ROI, but we want to do that while building what we call capability ROI. Can we level up our data infra? Can we level up our teams in terms of their understanding of data? Can we build capability in addition to building a toy? Like you said, if you build in a dark corner, you're just going to have a bunch of pilots. Can we actually build capability? So move closer to the strategy build capability and find wins along the way is kind of the ideal here and make sure that all of that is in line with that strategic North Star. Is this more or less what you would advocate? Yeah. Or are there parts of that you'd, you'd adjust? No, that's exactly right. And, and actually, the last point you mentioned, I think, is often the most overlooked, and yet it's the most important, which is really leveling up your team. And, yeah. and this is something that, you know, at Airbus on the inside of that company, you know, that's really the major transformation. You, you're hired to kind of bring a new technology to a company. And yet, if you're good and it works, what you end up succeeding at is really just upgrading the skills and capability of the company. And, yeah. you know, I, I saw this where, you know, we started with just a few people and then, you know, built up a small data science team working on small problems. And actually, then we kind of rendered ourselves obsolete because we then trained now over a thousand people in data science and analytics. And we knew it was working because we started seeing that the kinds of problems that we would have worked on otherwise were already being solved by the business. And this investment happened over a very, very long period of time where we were pushed, you know, our central team was pushed into only the hardest problems, only building up the new big platforms, only working on, you know, the technical demonstrators, the stuff that's really advancing the state of the art. But that was because we had, you know, this massive capability already in the company that at that point working on everything else. And, and this is kind of the thing that's really generating disruptive value, you know, where, where you're not just doing a few projects worth, you know, one or two million euros, but you're really generating hundreds of millions of euros a year all throughout the business. That's indeed the goal. And again, you probably still see it to this day. So much of AI is just how many band-aids can we plug onto this thing? How many individual little edge use cases can we do? We talk about measurable ROI, yeah. which might be 
the difference we can make with one project. Strategic ROI is, are we bringing the company closer to our core differentiators and what's going to help us win in the market? And then capability ROI is, Teams, data infra, culture, are they improving so that AI is stronger in the future? Clearly, you're putting a big emphasis on that in your experience at Airbus. I'd love to unpack that. You were serving as a catalyst there and as leading strategy, you had to educate, you had to level up not only data, but the human beings, really actually educate human beings. What is a catalyst job? You know, you're trying to drive projects forward. People don't want to take extra classes. They don't want you to, you know, give them lectures or something. This has to be done in a very tactful way. What does it look like to level up people in a way that feels like a win for them as well? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is I would say at the executive level, that's true. So if you go into somebody who's super busy and who's, you know, got a thousand other things on their plate, asking them to participate in kind of like a data upskilling class is going to be very challenging. You know, what we did was we really focused on the bottom up. So we looked at people who, you know, had technical backgrounds and who were living in the problems. They were in the muck. You know, they were surviving (laughs) these broken systems. They were fighting with these, you know, old school interfaces. And, you know, we said to them, look, there's a better way to do this. We're going to help you. We're also going to use it as an excuse to deploy technology into your space. But we need to work together. And this was like a much, much easier sell to make. And the beauty of this is the you know if and i don't know whether it's maybe this is what you refer to as strategic roi yep i mean you start getting these returns on investments become really sticky when you're not just producing an interesting project but you're actually changing processes of a company and those those changing processes are what's very valuable but buying getting the buy-in of the people on the ground is like to me the best hack to changing these processes it doesn't matter if there's a rule in place. If you can convince somebody to do something differently and it's the right thing to do and you can give them a tool that helps them do it, it will get done without it even being officially acknowledged. And then often the rule change happens afterwards. So this is something that you know I, I've seen throughout my career. And I'd say even now with our startup at Konux, we see that. You know, we see where, you know, even as we're rolling out a technology into rail and we're talking to maintenance engineers and we're, you know, collaborating on what is the right way to do this kind of work differently. We're seeing that happen organically just because, you know, it's fun to imagine a better way of doing your job. And this is the kind of magical part of some of these new technologies. They're making people's jobs, they're elevating people's jobs, they're making them more fun and more impactful. And that's, you know, that that is the kind of education I would say that you really want to focus on. It's interesting because we definitely do hear a lot of it has to start at the top language here on the show. And I would say in many regards, it'd be very hard for me to disagree with that. Presumably, even if we are going to give the the boots on the ground folks a new tool, hopefully somebody gave us budget for that or it's in line with our mandate. Otherwise, we're probably probably not going to be doing so hot. So I presume there's some level of getting the okay. But what you're saying is the actual education, let's learn how to fix this. Let's make this better. You're saying if we find the right problem and we have a mandate to do it, we actually can spurn an enthusiasm for upskilling and improving processes from the people that are actually forced to deal with those problems every day. Yeah, I I would say that's true. And I I agree with your assessment. I would say most stories start at the top. And I think one thing at least that made Airbus unique was that we didn't exclusively focus on that. We had a very visionary CEO who realized that there was a a need for this. He started this digital transformation within the company and created a broad mandate. And then what we really saw was like most of the stuff that happened was really built from the bottom up. And, you know, there are some weaknesses of this. It's harder to get started. You start with less budget. You have to scale in a more stepwise way. But as a result, like the type of change that you see is, 
maybe more solid. So we've had transitions in CEO and leadership, huh. but we still have the same thousands of people working on, we have embedded teams all throughout the business. You kind of become an unkillable entity. And this was sort of the magical <laughs> result of the whole thing. Something that inspired me ultimately to sort of say, okay, my work here is done. And at some point when I realized that more or less we had built up an IT shop, like we from the ground up built up something that you know, uses all these fancy technologies, but are, it's somehow just now part of the machinery of the company, right? And that's always that nice feeling where you're like, okay, this is no longer disruption. This is no longer transformation. This is normal course of doing business. So I would say, you know, one way or another, you have to start, you know, you have to go to the bottom up. And, and I would say, especially as you mature, you realize that's where the kind of long-term impact that you're going to have will be. Because the people at the top change, you know, the strategy changes, the, the company changes. And you know, if you really believe in these technologies and their ability to to make work better, to make to transform the normal course of doing business, then yeah, you want to see that last. Huh. So it's interesting. I mean, two quick notes, and I'll get a little bit more insight and a final question here as we wrap up. One thing was, hey, you know, we saw most of the change from the bottom because we had a really visionary CEO. Even that is like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. So you kind of see where I'm coming from. But with that said, you had enough approval at the top to make it happen at the bottom. And you are bringing up a point that is super viable here, which is actually the nature of transformation bottom-up is different than top-down. You mentioned smaller budgets. You mentioned starting with smaller projects or what have you. But you also mentioned if we can get groundswell, actually making it harder to get rid of, even if the management changes. So it's there's almost yeah, pros and cons as you're describing it. If, am I hearing you correctly? There's pros and cons to bottom-up versus top-down AI adoption or tech adoption. Yeah, I know you're, and yes, yes. And as you said, it's, it's sort of just a luxury that we had yes. to, you know, to have some top cover, but ideally you get both, right? I mean, yes, ideally sure, you have sure. this pincer. I agree. You know, we yes. see it as well where, you know, even as we're entering like a new country, for example, now at, with Konux, like we will pay very, very close attention to how can we fit within, you know, the priorities of the executive team yes. and will be out there pushing, you know, pushing our team into all these different routes and and really on the ground working with the everyday people that are, you know, living living with our problems. And our hearts are kind of in both, but yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the working on the everyday problem is w- where you really, you know, feel like you go home at night and your hands are dirty and you you did a, you did a hard day's work, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's really the 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 bread and butter of of the job, you know, and that's that's fulfilling as well. So both can be powerful in their own ways, and, and ideally you do both well. But Got it. Yeah, um, the, the, the pincer. I think what you've talked about here today, Adam, gives some hope to people that might not have the most visionary CEO, but maybe they do have great buy-in with the folks in their department who have real problems, and that means they can still be a good catalyst. And I think your story is a good example of how to pull that off. So from a definition standpoint and an actionable, implementable insight standpoint, hopefully our listeners are more than pleased with our episode today. I sincerely appreciate you, Adam, joining us again and sharing your ideas. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Adam for being able to join us again. Again, we talked to him a while back when he was over with Airbus, and it's great to be able to have him back as our second to last episode in this five-part series. Tomorrow is our final episode in this series, and we will be speaking to the head of AI at one of the world's largest telecommunications companies about how he's built out an AI strategy. This is someone who has literally written a book on the topic, in addition to spent 
uh, a lot of time in a company worth many tens of billions adopting and applying artificial intelligence hands-on. So a lot more up close and personal experience with great experts coming up tomorrow. But I did want to wrap up talking a little bit about Emerge Plus. In the episode, you probably heard us talk about the Trinity model of AI ROI, looking at strategic capability and measurable ROI. That is one of many of our infographics, frameworks, and tools inside of Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is our platform. Many of you who are tuned in are already members, by the way, but if you are not, Emerge Plus is our platform for Emerge members that want to take our insights and put them into practice. And Emerge Plus membership gives people access to our entire use case library with a unique search interface to be able to find specific applications inside of specific industries to find what they're looking for. It also opens up our full library of AI white papers, as well as our complete library of frameworks and infographics. Everything from measuring AI ROI to explaining and framing an AI business problem to a stakeholder or a potential buyer, to building an AI strategy or roadmap, we have graphics and step-by-step guidance on putting them together based on our one-to-one interviews with some of the best and brightest in the AI world. So if you're interested in taking some of what you're learning and putting it into practice, either within your company or maybe in a company that you're serving, if you're on the services or the consulting side, then Emerge Plus is certainly worth checking out. You can learn more at emerj.com slash P1. That's emerj.com slash P as in plus, and then the number one. So feel free to check that out. Otherwise, stay tuned for tomorrow for our final episode here in the strategy series. I appreciate you being with us. I hope you enjoyed Adam's episode, and tomorrow will be a good one as well. So I'll catch you then.